Welcome back to Film Music Focus. Today we have the pleasure of sitting with Mr. Jim Fahey, who is the director of programming Symphony Center Presents at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. It's a great pleasure to have you here. How are you today? I'm very good, Justin. Thanks for inviting me. I'm I'm glad to be here. So for all of our listeners out there, I know that many of them are already aware of who you are and what you are if they don't know your name just by instantly recognizing it. And... (laughs) They, they probably have no idea that you are um, one of the people, and, and certainly from a programming standpoint, uh, one of the primary people that is behind making what we see happen on stage, bringing the artists in, scheduling the artists, finding ways of creatively programming what it looks like over that 365-day year, playing, not playing, whatever that balance is. So... Um, for those out there that have been to the Chicago Symphony, um, Mr. Fahey is largely responsible for all the creative uh, implications of how things are scheduled. So um, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you just kind of start off and help us um, understand a little bit about your your background, perhaps even um, let's dial back even 30 years if you'd like. I mean, how did you get into music? Let's start with that kind of fun question. Well, I have to go back a little bit farther than 30 because this is my 30s seventh season with the Chicago Symphony. Um, and I, um, I actually fell in love with classical music when I was young um, and started playing the oboe when I was in eighth grade um, and eventually went to uh, DePaul University to study music. Um, I had a very good teacher, private uh, teacher, uh, who was the principal oboist of the Lyric Opera. Her name was Gladys Elliott. And uh, she... Uh, very smartly told me that I shouldn't be a performance major, <laughs> which set me on a, a little bit of a different path. It was the right thing for her to say. Um, I had only started, like I said, in eighth grade, and uh, I ended up uh, getting a degree in music education uh, at DePaul and um, didn't decided that I didn't really want to teach either. So I, um, I think I had this three-month uh, kind of panic of what, I was, what, what am I going to do with my life? Um, and very luckily, I, I found out about uh, a woman at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra who actually also graduated from DePaul, not in music, but she graduated from DePaul and, and went in to uh, meet with her and uh, soon started working at the Chicago Symphony, mm-hmm. which was a dream come true. Uh, but I was also, I would say, completely naive about what the jobs were there, what, what, what was all the backgrounds, et cetera, that, that, that took, uh, that was needed to, you know, to, to present an orchestra on stage, et cetera. So, um, I, I started out actually in, uh, what was, it wasn't even called the education department, but I started out working, uh, on educational concerts, but I was doing everything from, uh, group sales, ticketing, um, uh, I was distributing the mail. I was uh, cleaning the Xerox machine, yeah. but I was also working with uh, the assistant conductor who uh, at that time, his name was Henry Mazur. He um, had been in that position for a number of years, but he was doing all the youth concerts. 
um, that the orchestra did, which was pretty extensive at the time. And so I started working with him on, on um, I would start to say creating programs, but working with him on the programs that he created. I eventually moved into creating teaching materials. Uh, we used to uh, create youth concert cassettes that we would send out to schools so they would have a uh, uh, kind of a background before, before they came to, to a concert at Orchestra Hall. And um, I spent 10 years in the education department and I, I used my degree there and I, I learned a lot about the, um, the artistic administration or the administration of a, of a major symphony orchestra. And um, I was very lucky to see concerts by uh, Sir George Schulte, Claudio Bado, um, Eric Leinsdorf, uh, the list goes on. I, I, I got to see some really amazing concerts at a very, very amazing time in that organization. Um, and all along, I kind of knew that I wanted to move into um, artistic administration if I could possibly do so. So I, a job came open and I um, was able to uh, move to uh, the artistic administration um, department, uh, and soon found actually that my job was less about um, planning for orchestral concerts, but it was about uh, the presentation series that uh, the orchestra uh, took over from a private organization, maybe about, uh, I would say 10, 15 years prior. So I fell, I, I, I um, uh, actually started the presenting side and continued to plan for the presentation series that uh, the orchestra still has to this day. I started our jazz series, the first jazz series in Orchestra Hall. Uh, we're just about to announce our 27th season. Um, and um, all along, while I was doing presentations, everything classical for visiting orchestras, um, uh, our piano recital series, chamber music, etc. Um, I was always doing the non-classical uh, concerts that the Chicago Symphony Orchestra presented. There were very few and far between, but um, uh, we would have a corporate night fundraiser that we would do every year, and I would be responsible for programming that concert. So when, uh, in the early 2000s, when um, my, our, our former Vice President of Artistic Planning, uh, Martha Gilmer, um, experimented with a season that brought in different art forms to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra main series classical concerts. Um, she brought in dance, she brought in spoken word, uh, photography, and we decided to do film in that year. And we put, uh, at that point, uh, there were very few, if any, uh, feature length films that you could do in the way that we're so used to now. But uh, she planned um, uh, Chaplin City Lights mm -hmm. and it was on our, like I said, our main series classical um, concerts and it was quite a hit. Um, so in, as we planned the 2004, 2005 series, we decided uh, I would say there was a there was a possibility. And I'm not exactly sure if I can describe how that happened, but there was uh, the service availability came uh, changed, and we were able to identify one rehearsal and one concert um, 
at three different times during the season. So we decided to start a, a film series called Friday Night the Movies, as we call it then. They were always on Friday nights. And we again opened the entire season uh, and went back to City Lights and, and presented that again. It was probably three or four years after that experiment the first time. So um, I was very, um, you know, thrilled to be able to be a part of, sorry, um, I was thrilled to be able to be a part of uh, that series in its infancy. Um, and uh, we've been planning film concerts uh, and expanded the number of films uh, and, and projects that we've done uh, since that time to um, now I think we do six or seven films a year. Um, most of them are at least two performances. Uh, quite often there's three or four. So that's a long answer to your question, but uh, it's it's been a long time that I've been at the CSO and seen a lot and, and um, uh, am thrilled to be uh, able to continue to um, bring really amazing artists to the stage of Symphony Center and uh, amazing programs um, to um, to have our, our wonderful orchestra perform those amazing programs. A lot of our listeners uh, bridge the gap rather well between, as I was sharing with you before we started the program a bit, uh, uh, between classical concert music, if you want to call it that, um, film music, uh, music for video games. Um, they might be avid listeners. They might be uh, concert goers that actually are, are often getting out and going into the space. And they, they may be actually some folks in the industry even. And what, what I um, find fascinating about um, much of what you're saying is, just dialing on one thing to start, and, and that's um, not only the institution that is the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And, and there, there is that uh, that's part of this conversation, not only about how long you've been there. So being able to, I didn't know it was 37 years, um, uh, 37 years of, of watching one of the great institutions in our cultural global history um, in the context of how it has evolved into um, embracing uh, film music is, is an interesting concept just to kind of maybe pivot away with that for just a moment because... Um, the history of film music is really not all that old, right? I mean, we're, we're only out of the silent film area for about 100, 100 years. And in that period, um, it was, you know, incremental increases. And then all of a sudden, wham, the moment that um, orchestral sound became part of the thing that we brought from Vienna and we brought from Germany um, during the 40s. And all of a sudden, we have Max Steiner and Hugo Friedhofer and Franz Waxman, and from Russia, Dmitry Tiomkin, who ironically had, had become known as one of the great um, Americana movie composers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, this prodigious uh, piano talent uh, from Russia. Um, and where I'm going with this is that one of the great institutions, it really wasn't until uh, the early 2000s, as you said, that you started to kind of embrace film music. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk about that for just a moment. Is there... Um, I don't know if, if sure barrier is the right word, but prior to that time, um, there have, there's collectively been a great group of orchestras that has, since the avant-garde in the 60s, um, stayed very, very kind of centered and focused on what we um, look back and perhaps view as the traditional programming. We start with an overture, we look at a concerto, and then we play the symphony. Um what have been some of the challenges and what have been some of the benefits that you're seeing in your role 
introducing what is a, a decades-old craft into the symphonic environment. Um, and ironically enough, we're just doing now with live film what they were already doing in the silent film era, playing mm-hmm. music live to the picture in a, in a right. live environment. Right. Well, I think one of the, the important things that we found or we decided early on uh, was that the, the, the breadth and the depth of the amount of film music that was out there that obviously was written by some of these amazing talents that you mentioned, Tiomkin, Waxman, others, um, they, we felt that they deserved um, to be heard as performed by one of the greatest orchestras in the world, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And so the film programs that we planned early on, especially those first three or four seasons were, I would say what you would call now, um, we would call them clip shows, but we didn't have, we didn't have um, visual clips to show. So, you know, we did work very closely when we still to this day work very closely with Richard Kaufman, um, and he has been a, a wealth of, of knowledge and, and, and ex, um, connections in, in Hollywood, et cetera. And his history in the studios and is, is, you know, quite extensive. But we came up with programs that uh, were um, focused on music uh, over, you know, with a theme. And, and, you know, the first year, I think we had um, uh, a theme about all um, Oscar-winning scores. Mm. Um, And um, obviously we would be able to to, uh, perform the sections of the scores that were available. Um, And we decided that we did want some images uh, on the screen. Um, And so we would, uh, we worked very closely with um, an an archivist in, in Hollywood. He was able to get access to uh, some publicity stills mm-hmm. um, and behind the scenes shots of some of these films. Uh, so if we were playing um, an excerpt from a film, we would he would gather maybe seven or eight still images and we would create a, and I'm sure it was a PowerPoint type uh, 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 program that would show those eight images throughout the course of this seven and a half minute long piece. So you might see it up there for a minute and then it'll change, et cetera. So we did that for, I would say, it was the majority of the film uh, scores that we performed. And some of those early concerts, um, there was probably 15 or 20 different, uh, you know, excerpts uh, on, on each concert. We didn't do um, images for every single one because the other the other thing we wanted to do was really give the orchestra the chance to to perform this music without any images on the screen and just let people hear these scores, which are, you know, they they were certainly um, famous scores, but certainly not heard in in a concert hall uh, on you know any regularity. Um, so um, again. That uh, kind of um, presentation uh, really made us focus on the music itself. And um, I think that was something that really helped 
uh, with uh, our orchestra's kind of acceptance of this, as you were talking before about um, this, you know, our orchestra doesn't have a pop series. We've, we've never had a, a, right. a standard pop right. series like a lot of orchestras have had over the years. And so this was a kind of shift in um, a little bit towards that, um, uh, that model, which they were certainly not familiar with. There were a number of orchestra members who were very, very supportive of the series and, and you know, knew film music and, and appreciated film music. And, you know, I was supposed to say there was probably others, as, as there often is mm -hmm. difference of opinions across 100 orchestra <laughs> musicians, yeah. um, that there were some that were less uh, enamored of the, the idea of, of performing with a screen over their heads, et cetera, and in the dark. Is, and we tried our best, though, you know, especially in those early years, to try and balance that. Yeah. And, and, and we've tried to subsequently to do the same by, by thinking very carefully about the, the scores uh, that are, are available uh, for some of these uh, live-to-film projects mm -hmm. that are out there. So, you know, there was a time, I would say, three or four years in, speaking of challenges, there was a time three or four years into this series where I was like, uh, I don't know how we're going to do this. What do, you know, how are we going to sustain this model or this kind of concept without starting to repeat or whatever? And um, we did go to after the success of the series, because it really was successful almost from the get-go. It, it was three Friday nights, and we, I think, were able to sell, a, I don't know if it was 60% of the house on subscription right off the bat, and then the remaining seats we sold on single tickets. So it was a very, very strong yeah. um, following um, and um, from, from subscribers right off the bat. We were able to move on to some of the clip shows that uh, John Goberman had had put together. I mean, those those projects had been out there yeah. all during this time, um, but at the in early uh, years in the series, we were a little uh, cautious about about the amount of money that that uh, he, he he demanded or needed for those for those clip shows. But we eventually moved into them uh, and did some different projects uh, that were that were combining. Um, uh, live music with with uh, actual motion pictures and and that was the goal I think as well I mean for me it was the goal to try and figure out how to how to make that happen um, uh, and it it took a number of years and then it, like I think you know it just exploded in terms of the the number of uh, 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 possible options for for those concerts so um, now I think the challenge is different I think the challenge is going back to that uh, you know, is the score uh, really something that's that's worthy to put in front of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra musicians for, to perform? Right. Um, and I mean, so I wouldn't say we've we've tried our best to keep the highest level possible. I mean, there are times when we haven't maybe kept with that because a title is is very mm -hmm. uh, enticing. But I think for the most part, we've 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 tried to do that, and I think we've been successful at it. Well, that's an interesting balance that you're speaking of, you know, the balance between the the strength or the perceived strength of the film and the perceived strength of the score. And, and when we're talking about uh, the perceived strength of the score, I, I think it's it's up to a different level of um, opinionators or opinion making, because the mm -hmm. film is the, the film is what it is. And you generally look at the film through the context, um, I think, of your patrons. 
Um, you know, but as far as the music, the score is concerned, all of a sudden, as you pointed out, you know, a hundred plus opinions and personalities and, and such on the stage. And in the case of your organization, um, many of the finest players on the planet. And so along with that absolutely comes with, I mean, you know, it's like any, any racetrack filled with thoroughbreds, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the level of whatever X, Y, Z is, is another notch or 10 up, including people's feelings and what they should or shouldn't be playing, what they want to be playing. Um, but interestingly enough, that balance now, now that you say, you know, and, and totally agree with the explosion, the proliferation of this, this, um, style of, of concertizing that's come up in the last few years. Um, I think that there are far more scores that are worthy of a great orchestra, such as the CSO, than there are films that might not ever see the light of day because the strength of the film is not perceived through the eyes of the patrons in the same way that the music is through the eyes of the right. musicians. Right. Or the eyes of the marketing department. <laughs> I didn't say it. I was waiting for you to say the marketing department. It's out there. You know, but you're so right. It's like that, it's like that everywhere. And the marketing department has a lot more say now than they did even seven years ago in this in this right. space. Well, and, and so I there's a couple of examples of films. So there's there there are amazing films that will probably never see the light of day. Um, in this format, um, Patton, that's one of my t- top five that might not ever L- see the light of day. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence. Now, one, one could say that that score is maybe, you know, it's a lot of the same over and over again, but it's the, the length of that film, et cetera, yeah. is, is, is not going to allow it to, 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 yeah. uh, be treated this way. I, a couple of years ago, we had a overall theme and this is the hard challenge that I, I try and do this, but it's, it's a very hard challenge is we sometimes have an overall theme for the season or, um, you know, for example, this season we're currently in Beethoven 250. There wasn't a lot to, to do with film in that one. There's maybe a couple of films there, but um, a couple of years ago, we had a film that, or a theme, I should say, uh, that was based upon War and Peace. Mm. And, I really wanted to find a way, if there was any possible way to find to do um, the best years of our lives, mm. because I think it's an amazing film yeah. and it has an Oscar winning score. Yeah. And the score is, is really integral to that film. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it's an important aspect of, of the success of that film, especially in some of the final scenes. Yes. But the length of the film is a challenge. It's going to yeah. provide, you know, people will have to deal with overtime. And there's just really not a lot of interest in that film for a, gener- a general audience. Yeah. I think for a specified audience or for some, you know, film connoisseurs that, you know, I think there might be. And if we were only doing our one rehearsal, one concert situation with three performances, yeah. three concerts or uh, titles a year, maybe that would work but you know yeah. again yeah from your side of it the economics of putting in the effort to to put it put a film or make a film available in that that yeah. uh, format you know you can't just do it for one orchestra although it's been done i know but it, it's a it's a economic challenge to do it, it in that way from from this side it becomes a passion project when we're closer to that you know if there's one or two or three orchestras that we know can do something i'll i'll uh, I have to, from a personal perspective, you know, be absolutely in love um, more than I normally am with what we put out there. You know, from the from the production perspective, you know, I 
I go through this a lot when we're when we're building out a new title, and I'm I'm constantly questioning, or I should say, a better way is to say, um, I'm trying to separate the two verticals that that are are me over here, Cineconscious. The one is is just the artist, and the lover of Jerry Goldsmith X Y Z or John Williams or Max Steiner or whomever. And then the other part is the realist, and and those two are constantly battling one another, mm-hmm. and it's it's um, and I'm constantly struggling to to uh, you know have the the practical conversation with Halls, with what makes sense for them, and and I know what the answers generally are, versus what oh my gosh, look, just give me five seconds. I mean, you know, we've had these conversations before, after some mm-hmm. of the shows we've done in Chicago together, um, you know, and and I'll say something along the lines for our listeners that, that weren't there. And, I'll I'll sit with Mr. Fahey and I'll 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 just talk to him about the things that I just unabashedly love, and and then I I let him poke holes in it and he does it right away because he needs to and he, he brings me back down to earth, and I've always appreciated that about our conversations. But it's something that's very real, because um, if I had the chance to put out every Jerry Goldsmith score, I would. Um, but we know right, but, we, we, we know we couldn't. Right, but the the the, the challenges that are kind of inherent in in this format uh are 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 many because you know the films were created for this genre (laughs) so no one was thinking about i hope they're not frankly i hope they don't don't go that that way yeah and um you know the orchestra world is filled with um its own restrictions in terms of numbers of rehearsals for us or length of concerts. We have a two hour and uh, 15 minute um, service length. Others have less, others have more. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge from, from that perspective as well. But, um, um, and for our listeners, know, just really quick for our listeners that don't really understand the implications of the service length, um, the moment that orchestra XYZ goes over that service length, then we're talking about overtime increments, which are a hard cost versus a service cost. Right. Um, you know, right. They're, and, they're extra costs that we ha- we yeah. would face. You know, yeah. And we, 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 we build those costs into our budget yeah. when the film title is such that we feel we're going to be able to, um, you know, cover those costs and more. Um, but the, the, you know, we try and avoid that if we possibly yeah. can. It was just, you know, like I said, you go back to the example of, of um, Lawrence for Arabia and, you know, the, the overtime yeah. costs in a yeah. three and a half hour film would be, um, you know, uh, unrecoupable. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were on the, literally the, the one yard line on that. And we, we, uh, we finally learned from the studio that um, the, the higher up decision was that this at least, the most recent decision of many decisions that I've been I've been told over the last couple of years trying to bring that one to fruition is that um, the format is what it is and we're not going to currently change it. So right. um, that one unfortunately might not see the light of day. But let's let's pivot to one that's real that, that you guys have done that is similar in those challenges, and that's the Lord of the Rings franchise. Um, I remember years and years ago. This is before. Um, we first worked together uh, with the orchestra and me on the podium, which was Gladiator. But prior to that, our colleague Ludwig Vicky was out at Ravinia um, working with you guys in Lord of the Rings. And that's an interesting case study because with some exception in Europe where the, well, with most exception is all in Europe where the, the services are different, the costs are different, um, 
the intermission lengths are different. Everything's different. So they're able to cost analyze things differently. Um, that is one of those shows here in the States where you can sell out until the cows come home and you still lose money because of how many rehearsals are required, how, how long the film is, um, all these things, you know, uh, doubling costs with the instruments, um, a lot of interesting, uh, beautiful sounds that Howard Shore came up with for the film. Um, but that's a big elephant in the room. And in the room in this case is the genre because it's an incredible film. The music's amazing. And you sell it out in many cases in the U.S. and you still lose. And that's a very interesting thing. Yeah. And I would say, just to be clear, um, those films were done at Ravinia. And I yes. am not responsible for the programming of Ravinia, the Ravinia Festival and Wells Kaufman. As well as, yeah. That's Wells, yeah. Um, made, that, made that call. Yeah. And I was often, I was worried about that. Um, and it, I think it turned out to be the worry. I think we talked about it, actually. Yeah. Um, I think it turned out to be a little bit of, turning, of a turning point for our orchestra because mm -hmm. the the requirements in those three nights of three and a half hours or whatever it is oh, um, it's, it's... are are really very taxing on, on all of the orchestra members and spring, yeah. spring players in particular. Yeah. I think there's times when I think our brass um, don't, they're, they're pretty invincible. So I think they, they, but I, I would guess that there's a possibility that even that those scores were a challenge for them, but um, yeah. string players in particular. And, and we all know that none of these scores were ever meant to be right. performed live. And so right. it's a challenge that, that, that is starting to come into play a little bit with the, with the films that we're now, you know, um, currently planning or have planned. I think that's the case with some of the star Wars films. The scores are, they're amazing and they're wonderful, but they're, they're challenged. Yes. Uh, they're challenged for orchestra musicians. And so we need to be very careful about that as we plan our, our, our uh, rehearsals and concerts. Yeah. Um, and I think some of the Harry Potter films as well, well you know, we haven't gotten past the first four, but I think as we get into um, the, the later films that there mm -hmm. are challenges there um, in terms of those, the levels of volume, et cetera, that, that are, are part of those films. And so that's the challenge that we face in looking at, at planning, uh, future seasons. But, mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that we would, we would ever do Lord of the Rings, uh, in our, uh, on our series. Um, yeah. uh, but, um, uh, we're, we're trying to be as careful as possible, uh, about those kinds of issues. Yeah. It's um, you know, should kind of pivot back to Lord of the Rings for a second again because it's it's starting to kind of take on another another life. It's been a few years since a number of orchestras in Europe have booked it, and a lot of them are kind of bringing it back and um, seeing varying degrees of success. I, I hear that that um, again, Europe, you know, they they are having success with it. I mean, it's a, an incredibly wildly popular title out there. Um, but we have a whole different set of parameters here in the States, as you know, and the collective bargaining agreements that exist from orchestra to orchestra might be the most significant difference um, from a practical standpoint uh, between, you know, all of our brother and sister orchestras um, and other places of the world. Um, and But you're right, though. The physicality is an interesting thing because um, not only from the orchestra and the podium, but even from the, the patronage standpoint, you know, it's like how long can your listener hold on? And, and I think though, um, and I'm, I might be a little bit biased only because this program is centered around film music, but 
I've noticed a tendency to, for people to hold on a little bit longer, the average goer that might not have the capacity of knowledge of, of whether or not Mahler's Third Symphony was in the context of whatever we're, we're discussing, right? But the, who might come to the hall, just want to hear a classical concert. It's that, that uh, patron, that, that I'm, uh, patron that I'm speaking of. How long can they hold on? Right. Um, maybe a little bit longer with a movie because they have the added benefit and bonus or, or variable perhaps a better word, um, of the film. Um, but in the case of your organization, being able to sit inside Symphony Center and have Chicago Symphony Orchestra recapitulate these notes in a way that only CSO can do, that is one of the great things, um, of course, that you guys have that nobody else has. And and I know a lot of people, and I mean a lot, like hundreds of people in Chicago that have now started to come to your concert programming, your classical programming, that hadn't before because they were introduced to your sound through the art of film. Brought to you by Cine Concerts. <laughs>